I have not learned my lesson about bubbly sodas before recording. Okay, we're rolling. Mic check, peaks and pops. Mic check, peak pop. Peaks and pops. Peaks. I gotta find other words to start with. Mm, no, probably not. We'll just stick with P. <laughs> How will we ever find another word that starts with P? <laughs> they don't, but it, where? Where? If only that's some kind of book. I'm pretty excited. I don't know why you're not celebrating. Where's your party hat? Where's your party favor? Uh, in it's the wash? Bi- your party hat's in the wash? Well, when you party as hard as I do, sometimes it gets a little sweaty. <laughs> well, I, you should bust it out because definitely um, today is a big day. Oh, okay. And I, I think that we need like the full regalia. Um, oh, okay. I know. Yeah. So you know what this episode is, right? This episode is going to be great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And rhymes with that. It's number. How many episodes we've done so far? What number is this? Um, let's see. Two, three, mm-hmm, nine, mm-hmm, nine mm-hmm, ten, uh, mm-hmm. 14. Eighth episode spectacular. Eighth. Wh- what? That's right. We've hit the eighth. No, no. I mean, I mean. What is an eighth episode spectacular? I it's have no like idea what that when is. you do something for the eighth time is this, and it's the spectacular one. Is this some weird, like you stayed in Germany kind of thing? <laughs> so now you're bringing it over here. You're trying it's to make it a It's an eighth Eight An octa-senera? Cultures around the world celebrate. Did you learn that in Germany? They got a weird language over there. Episode eight. Episode eight. And I can think of no better way to celebrate episode eight. Then a nice, concise, short, quick episode of eight reviews. Oh. <laughs> but oh, wait, there's more. We haven't learned our lesson yet. <laughs> we have for you, dear listener, eight games. Okay. What? Each with a number in the title going from one to eight. Isn't that delicious? The, <laughs> that's not the word I Paul use. Lightning Round, you want to rattle them off? Oh, okay. I need you to read this hastily scrawled, barely legible list I just made. Right now? Yes, oh, please. Okay, let me see here. We've got uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. We've got Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. We've got a Three Bags of Tortilla Chips. This is, you've handed me a shopping list. <laughs> Oh, three sisters, okay, four gardens, five tribes, six, what is this word? Why are weird words today? Lords are leaping. (laughs) Six nymphs, six nymphs and nymphton, seven wonders, and eight minute empire. I guess that's what we've got going on for our eighth episode spectacular that I didn't realize was a thing because I'm apparently uncultured. Here we are. So I guess let's go. Let's go. I got something to tell you, Laura. I don't trust Rob. Really? Rob? Rob. We like Rob. Well, look, once I tell you why I don't trust him, you might not like him so much. Oh, why? Why don't you trust him? Here's the thing about Rob. Mm -hmm. Lycanthropy. That's a big word, Paul. Lycanthropy. If that, I say it louder and then draw it I out. I definitely will understand. Uh, so you're saying that he's a werewolf? I'm saying he is a werewolf. He is half man, half wolf. And what makes you think that? I don't know. I just have a hunch. 
I, 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 that's all I have is just this hunch to go on. Well, I guess we should just probably kill him, huh? Yeah, we should, uh, wait, what? Well, I mean, the, the timer's counting down. We have to make a decision um, and you have a hunch and I have, all mean, he has to say for himself is wait, he's not yeah, a werewolf. Wait, now that I think about it, I, I do. Come on, I Paul. Timer's ticking. Yeah, but, oh, all right. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to memorialize our friend Rob, who most definitely was not a werewolf. And whose artichoke dip was second to none. Mm, so good. He will be missed. And now... One Night Werewolf. One Night Werewolf. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. If you had one night, what would you do? Well, I, I don't think it would be playing this game. Let's <laughs> forget ahead of ourselves. <laughs> one, let's not just let's not spoil the entire plot. One night, ultimate werewolf. Uh, dear listener, you might be aware of a game called Werewolf. It is a game where a bunch of people sit around. You got your werewolves. You got your villagers. There's a moderator running things. Everyone closes their eyes. Werewolves open their eyes and silently decide which villager to murder. Everyone closes their eyes again and opens up, and then the moderator tells the villagers who has died and to then decide amongst themselves who they think the werewolf is. Repeat that over and over again until either the werewolves are dead or there's no villagers left. And so if you're looking for a version where you don't have to continue to repeat things and start to figure stuff out. and You don't need a moderator. You don't like, need a moderator. You want everyone to be able to play. Yeah. One Night Ultimate Werewolf might be for you. If that's your bag. If that's your bag. It's it's the it's an app driven game, which means that everyone can play. You have an app that, that you just punch in how many people are playing and what roles you're using, and then the app drives everything. It tells you when to close your eyes, it tells you when to open your eyes, it tells you exactly what to do, and then gives you five minutes by default, I think, to decide amongst yourself who the werewolves are, and and that's it. And then it tells you to vote. Nobody, nobody dies. There's no nighttime, and then the werewolves decide, and then wake up, and and someone gets murdered. Like it just skips all that, and you just instead just kind of wake up from the nighttime, and everyone just starts lobbing accusations at each other. There are some extra roles that are part of the game that kind of uh, helps facilitate this kind of conversation. One person can be the seer, and the seer will have a chance to secretly look at someone's role. Or they can take a look at the unused roll cards that are in the center that'll be present. They can they can look at the ones that aren't being used. Uh, and the seer then can loudly proclaim, I am the seer and I know that Laura is the werewolf. But then Laura could say, well, wait a minute. No, Paul's lying. I am the seer and I know that Paul is the werewolf. And now we all argue over who actually is the seer and who's not. And there's a couple of other roles where uh, you can move around some of the secret yeah. role cards. The robber can, I think, intentionally steal one yeah. and trade. The troublemaker can just mix up two. And the effect of this kind of role swapping bit yeah. is that some people won't even know what role they are. Yeah, some people, the drunk. Oh, the, the drunk. The, I was the drunk last night. And the drunk swaps out a role and randomly and doesn't get to look at what the new role is yeah. at, at all. So... It's very difficult to play as the drunk, yeah, actually. There's 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 some chaos there where everyone is accusing everyone else of being a thing based on information that they have seen in the middle of the night 
that no one else can really verify that they have seen. And really what it all comes down to is just a bunch of people with a bunch of hunches about who they think the werewolf is or the werewolves are in a larger group based on testimony that other people may or may not believe. And after five minutes, I think by default, the app says, all right, vote. And if at least one of the werewolves gets voted to be murdered, then the villagers win. And if all the werewolves survive, then the werewolves win. Uh, and like we said, there's a couple of roles who also want to die. I think the Tanner role is pretty funny. The Tanner hates his job and he wants to die. If the Tanner dies, the Tanner is the only one that wins. No, the werewolves don't win. The villagers don't win. So uh, there's there's all of that chaos and and all of this arguing and finger pointing based on absolutely nothing, which is why we will box this game up and it goes right into the cell, right into the cell bin. Yeah, this one's just not for us. I don't think there's enough meat on the bones to this yeah. one. If you like social deduction as a genre where there's hidden roles and there's a good theatrical part of the game where folks discuss what their roles might be and can lie and take on a different role or really ham things up, it could be fun for maybe a group of theater folks or things like that, but it's definitely not for everybody. Yeah. And as one of our friends last night pointed out, Vanessa, she said she doesn't like lying. So this kind of game is a really tough sell for her. Because, not her bag. Yeah, not her bag indeed. So ultimately, One Night Ultimate Werewolf is just not a keeper for One Night us. Ultimately not good. <laughs> um, now, I have a confession to make. It is not that I'm the werewolf. But I was mainly interested in featuring this game so that I could pull a handbrake turn and steer our dear listener into Weirwords, which we will just mention briefly. It has the exact same setup. It's app-driven. Uh, you've got werewolves and villagers and other mixes of roles. But instead of everyone kind of waking up from the night phase and then just randomly pointing fingers at each other, you have a person who's designated as the person who knows the secret word and everyone else will ask this person questions and it's this big game of 20 questions and the person who knows the word depending on if they're a villager or a werewolf most of the time they'll be a villager they'll want everyone in the village to guess the word hey we've all won our we've all won weird words hey but sometimes if the if the person who knows the secret word is the werewolf uh, well actually the werewolves always know the secret word Yep. Because the werewolves are trying to guide the villagers away from guessing the secret word. Meanwhile, the seer, who also knows the secret word, is trying yep. to guide the villagers towards the word by asking leading questions to help the 20 questions proceed in the right direction. But if the villagers guess the secret word because the seer did their job very well, too well, then the werewolves have a chance to murder the seer and the werewolves win. So without going too deep into that, just... If, if the concept of this little 10-minute bite-sized social deduction game appeals to you, uh, for my money, Weird Words is a much better bet than One Night Ultimate Werewolf. So take that and uh, put that in... In your pipe and in, smoke Put it? that in... <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this game anymore. Here is 2015, SpaceX 
has landed an unmanned Falcon 9 rocket, the first reusable rocket to successfully enter orbital space and return. Queen Elizabeth II has been on the throne for the longest time. She's the longest serving head of state. And among these historic achievements is the release of a game called Between Two Cities uh, by Stonemaier Games in 2015. A game about, uh, about building cities and scoring them. A year prior to that, was a game, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Um, my memory banks are completely empty for what happened in the year 2014, aside from that. So we'll just say that was the most important thing to happen that year. Uh, that was released by designer Ted Alsbach from Bezier. Bezier? Be- it's got the little... So it's got that, ag- that ax- accent. Accentegu. Above the E. Is that what it's called? Accentegu? I believe... It- Accent goo is one that goes up, and yeah. accent grav is one that comes down. Good. Well, it's the it's goo because it's it's not bezy. It's not quite the beziest, but it's bezier. It's bezier. Bezier games, 2014 castles of Mad King Ludwig, and then what I can only assume is some the result of some kind of fever dream. We now have between two castles of Mad King Ludwig. We have Crisis on Infinite Ludwigs, because this is a game that plays up to seven players and so you can have up to to seven mad king ludwigs all working on different castles in parallel and and working on them all at the same time this is an interesting game yeah let's uh let's kind of lay it out here so for those folks who have not played any of these games castles is it just called the castles Castles of of mad King? king ludwig yeah in that game you build a castle we will review that game at some point because we also on our shelf yep uh, you build a castle. You're selecting rooms, and you are, you know, trying to look for synergies between different room types. He's not. And he's not reasonably sane, King Ludwig. Which is the great part of building your castle in that game, because it <laughs> always ends up looking totally crazy. Yeah. So between two castles of Mad King Ludwig takes that same idea of building a kind of crazy castle. That's your chocolate. Mm-hmm. What, what, wait. Go ahead and describe the other game. Okay. Between two cities. I'm is, worried about what's no, going to happen with this chocolate. Don't worry. If nothing bad ever happens with chocolate. Between <laughs> two cities is a game about cooperative city building, which you are then judged on the quality of those cities, and only one person can win. And that's your peanut butter. And you take the two of them, your chocolate and your peanut butter, you smash them together, and what do you get? A Reese's cup? That, that is shaped just like a giant board game called Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Yeah. yeah. So this is a delicious game. Oh, it's so good. It really is. Where you are building these castles, but you're building them cooperatively with your buddy to your left and your buddy to your right. So it is, as we have already described uh, in, in the Seven Wonders review, this is another drafting game. They haven't heard that yet. They'll get to it because two is less than seven. Indeed, indeed it is. <laughs> we definitely didn't record that one before this one, though. We Why would record we record them in the exact same order? Why that would we, we have done that? That'd be silly. <laughs> this is a drafting game yeah. where you get a stack of tiles, and in this game, you will select a tile to contribute to the castle to your left and a tile to contribute to the castle to your right. Yep. And then you will, or everybody will reveal which tiles they have chosen. So yep. each castle will have two new tiles applied to it. And then everyone will pass the tiles around to the left. And that continues until all the tiles are gone. Yep. And then you do the same thing again with a big stack of tiles. And that next time you pass them around the other way. Yeah. Paul, why don't you give them a little more, uh, 
a little more specifics, a light, a light amount of specifics. A light about amount, how just the game actually, just a sprinkling of specifics. Yeah, how it goes? What you have here is a castle that is built on a throne room. The throne room is the size of two tiles put side by side, and every throne room has a different bonus condition that will reward you for putting certain rooms next to it or above it or beside it or in some configuration. And then the castle is made up of a variety of room types. You've got your outdoor type, you've got your food room, your utility room, your sleeping room, and your living room. I'm probably missing another one, but that's okay. Oh, and a basement Mm -hmm. and a corridor. The downstairs rooms. The downstairs rooms and the corridors as well. So you've got all these different room types that, that your castle can be made up of. And when you put these room types down, at the, ver- at the bottom of them, they're all going to tell you how many points that room type is going to score you. I'm looking at one right now, the walking path. It's an outdoor tile. And if it's in your castle at the end of the game, you're going to get one point for every corridor that's in your castle. Uh, I'm looking at the reading room. It's one of these uh, living room tiles. And if it's in your castle at the end of the game, you're going to get two points for every outdoor tile that is effectively touching it either on a side or a corner except directly below it. Here's some points for having this type of room anywhere near you. Here's some points for having this type of room anywhere in your castle. Here's some points for being able to draw a line from this tile to some other tile. All these different ways for you to score points based on the rooms you have in your castle. When you put the third tile of one of these types into your castle, that unlocks a fun little bonus. Things like a a fountain or a tower or a grand foyer. Or by fancy enough, should I say foyer? Foyer. Uh, uh, You can, some of the bonuses include uh, drawing some of these uh, special end game objective cards. You get to draw three, keep one. All kinds of things like that. And then if you manage to put the fifth tile of a certain spot down, you're gonna get a chance to add uh, another one of these uh, special tiles like the fountain or the tower or the grand foyer. All these tiles tell you literally on them how they're gonna score you points. The only rules about what you can and can't put in your castle are um, basement tiles need to stay below the, the ground floor, which is where that throne room starts. And anything above ground needs to be supported by something underneath it. Yep. And you can't place on top of an outside tile. Yep. I that's mentioned it. that earlier, and that's it. You you draft two tiles. One goes to your left, and one will go to the castle to your right. You get to talk about what you're doing with your neighbor. You can't talk about it while you're drafting, but you can talk about it. While uh, you're assembling. While you're assembling. You can even tell them, hey, let's put this here because I just sent a, a couple of tiles of this type your way. And so you go around the table until you're out of tiles in the stack that you're passing around. Then we do round two and we go the opposite direction. Once that's done, you you tally up all the points to the castle to your left and the castle to your right. And whichever of those two castles has the fewest number of points, that's your score. And the winner is the person with the highest score. And the scoring is one of the things I really like about this game. Yeah. Because it encourages you to be super collaborative with both of your neighbors. You want both of those castles to be doing well. Yep. You can't just focus on one because while you may be contributing to the highest scoring castle, it means nothing if your other (laughs) one is garbage. Yep. I got a 100-point castle on my left, 15-point castle on my right. Probably not winning this game. Yep. 
It also lends to some really interesting, very Mad King Ludwig type castles. Yeah. I think one of my favorites last night when we played was a series of corridors and foyers <laughs> in an extremely vertical tower <laughs> with also a lot of basement rooms that Vanessa and I had, had built. And we really looked for tiles that benefited you for having more corridors above you. Yeah. And then we capped off those tall columns with a tower on the tippy top. The towers give you points for all of the tiles below it. Yep. So it ended up being a really high scoring, the highest scoring of all the castles. And it was okay, extremely let's, unbalanced. We're not here to brag. Uh, <laughs> Ann and I tried to build what effectively was a bed and breakfast. We had all sleeping quarters, one point by themselves. But they're worth four points if your castle has at least one of every other room type in it. And we thought, this is great. We had like four or five in there. We're going to cash in big. And then by the end, we both realized that that neither of us had remembered to actually accomplish that. Ooh. Ooh. Neither of us had remembered to actually accomplish that goal. So what we were left with just a bunch of one-point rooms in our castle. And, and uh, someone, we, we heard a, a knock on the door, and we got up to go get it. And, and we opened the door, someone I'd never seen before, but he came in the house and he threw down his little, his case that he was carrying. He opened it up and he took out a trombone and he went wah, 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 <laughs> and then took off. No idea who he was. I don't know how he knew. Clearly a time traveler from the future sent probably to the past by you and Vanessa to really just rub it in, I think. It was pretty funny as you were scoring it up. You were, you were going through all of the room types and then I think I remember you saying, we don't have a living room. We don't have a living room. <laughs> what kind of bed and breakfast castle doesn't have a living room? I don't, this one, it's terrible. We deserve to lose. Yeah, that's the game. Between two castles of Mad King Ludwig, the only problems that I can foresee it having are, it can be both simultaneously confusing for someone, like in your, if you've played it with, you want to play it with your family. I feel like it's a pretty light game, mm-hmm. but but only if someone's able to really get their head around this concept of these different tiles being worth different points, different from each other. So if you're playing with people who tend to get overwhelmed by, by options and that kind of thing, maybe this game might not be for playing with them. The second thing is playing with a real alpha type, a real quarterback. That person could just say to their left and their right, this is what we're doing and, and uh, we will have no conversation about it. And then that game's not fun. Now, you could just say, don't play with those people. Um, But, you know, you probably also sometimes when thinking of your audience want to pick a game that will not encourage that type of behavior. Your mileage may vary. Ours doesn't because we play with very nice people um, who sometimes are a little too uh, deferential to the other person. And uh, that's why maybe we forget to install a living room. To install a living room in our bed and breakfast castle. I say it's a winner. It's a keeper. It is a collaborative, friendly, thoughtful game that doesn't take too long. Yeah. I haven't played Between Two Cities. From what I've read, Between Two Cities is a little lighter. And it also uh, it's also by Stonemeyer Games. It, it's a little cheaper, too, from what I've seen. So if you like this idea, but you, you think that the, the whole Mad King Ludwig part is a little crazy, but you still like the idea of this cooperative city building experience... Then, then you probably could do a lot worse than just than just doing the between two cities. 
But for our money, uh, between two castles, it, it hits a really nice, really nice sweet spot. I, and we love a seven-player game, uh, we, and we love a game that, that plays real quick and is relatively easy to explain. Um, so if you excuse me, I need to uh, go learn how to play the trombone, and then I also need to invent time travel so that the next time you do something really dumb in a game, I can travel back in time from 40 years in the future. So I can be an old man playing a trombone next time you screw up in Monopoly. I want to take a trip out to the west coast of these United States. Pacific Northwest. I want to hang out at the boundary of Lane and Deschutes counties, the Willamette and Deschutes National Forests, the United States state of Oregon. I was just going to say, it sounds like Oregon. About 10 miles south of the nearest town of Sisters. This is the location of a trio of volcanoes referred to as the Three Sisters. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, they cover an area of 281,190 acres. You sure have memorized a lot of details. I, I have a brain like a sponge. Nothing gets by me at all which is why it's perfect that we are here to talk about Three Sisters, a game about volcanoes, volcanoes and, and stoking the fires and shooting that lava up in the air and flooding the local towns with lava. Very weird theme for a game. I don't understand it. So that must be why you kept winning, because I was definitely playing a game about planting crops. Planting crops mm -hmm. using the three sisters method of of farming where you plant corns and beans and squash because oh, they all kind of are sure symbiotic you mean in a technique known as companion planting maize beans and squash are planted close together the maize and beans are often planted together in mounds formed by hilling soil around the base of the plants each year once again, very impressed with your encyclopedia-like knowledge. It's just like an encyclopedia. <laughs> accessible. It's, it's almost Wikipedia-like, even. Accessible at any time, <laughs> as long as I have an internet connection. Three Sisters, a game by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, published by Motor City Games and 25th Century. It is a game not about volcanoes. I'm just now learning. It is a game about farming, uh, three types of crops, corns, beans, and ponkins. 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 It's a roll and write game. Our longtime listener of the show might recognize roll and writes from our last episode, but this will not be a lightning round. Don't worry, Laura. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> no, we're going we're gonna to take this one nice and easy. Nice and easy. The gardening. What's more relaxing than gardening? What's more relaxing than you and me helping my parents Move bring those my mom's giant uh, collection of uh, not winter hardy Moving plants. those plants <laughs> in and out of the garage twice a year, uh, four to five hours each time. What is more relaxing than that? I can't think of a thing. It's highly relaxing based on the <laughs> how quickly I pass out when we're done. <laughs> but back to the game. Three Sisters. It's a fun roll and write. How did you find out about it? I found out about this when the people at Tabletop Express graciously invited me on to one of their evening playthroughs. Uh, you were out 
uh, winning big, big money at poker. Losing. Oh, well, that's... Wait, you told me you were winning big, big money. <laughs> we're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> you were out crafting lies that you would end up telling me in poker, and I hung out with the Tabletop Express guys, uh, and I had a really nice time. Uh, they invited me very short notice, and I accepted and and took a crash course in the rules. And let me tell you something. <laughs> For a roll and write, there's a lot going on here. Uh, I feel pretty proud of myself that I was able to hang and only came in a close fourth out of four people. But it was a close fourth. Old Ben, ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle are sitting there being like, get to the game. So let's stop wasting our dear listeners' time and oh. uh, get into it. Okay. Well, uh, first impressions are you have these two score sheets. Uh, these two score sheets represent your, well, I'd say garden, but there actually is a section called garden. I don't want to get confusing, but it represents your, your plant domain. You have your garden. You have your perennials. You got your apiary, your fruit orchard, I guess. Can you have a blackberry orchard? Is that a thing? I don't know. It just says fruit. You've got your shed. And you've got your goods and your compost. So back up here in the garden, you have six zones. And, and these zones all have a bunch of boxes to represent your pumpkins, your corn, your beans. And then there's one spot, two spots, one or two spots in each zone that, that represents uh, some flowers. Uh, down here in the flower area, you've got columns that represent uh, your, your investment in each of those flower types. Uh, and then over here in the apiary, you've got some boxes that represent your friendship with the bees. We're all <laughs> friends here. And then that splits off into three tracks. Down in the fruit area in Fruitland, you've got four different fruits, and each of those fruits has its own track that you fill left or right. And then over here in the shed, you've got some special abilities that you can unlock by filling in boxes left to right. And then down at the bottom, you have a whole mess of boxes that represents your goods and uh, your compost that you might want to spend for stuff that uh, Laura is going to talk about right now. So how the game plays is you also have, in addition to your two mats, you have your rondelle. That is board game talk for a series of actions that are arranged in a circle such that when you get to the end, you start back over at the beginning. Yep. And... The game plays by rolling your dice and laying your dice out by number. So two ones, a three and a six. Great. So your two ones together, your three by itself, your six by itself. Yeah. They would be placed incrementally in front of your farmer Edith. Farmer Edith. Meeple. Ooh, yeah. uh, so that you'd have the ones first and then the three and then the six in this example. So when you select a die, you get to take a garden action in the zone that corresponds to the number on the die. So if I take that six, then I can go to zone six in my garden and I can either plant a couple of plants. That means marking off the lowest box in a column. And you only plant in each column once, folks. After that, you need to water, yep. which is the other gardening action, yeah. to increase the size of the plant. So that means you would check off everything in the garden that's already been planted the next box up on that plant. So a good strategy would be to do a plant a couple of times in a zone and then water it. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. 
Very good. In addition to taking the garden action on the die that you choose, you also do the action on the rondelle that is on the space underneath the die that you have chosen. So just to give a quick once over of what's here on the rondelle, they correspond pretty tidily to the regions that Paul already mentioned on the player mats, but you've got an extra planting option. You just do the planter water action again. Mm-hmm. You've got shed time. Shed time is where you go to your shed and you will you know, start to build towards some extra little tools that can help you buff some of your other actions. You also have the compost and goods area, which lets you gain compost and gain goods. Yep. You got the apiary or fruit area, and that lets you take one action in either the apiary or the fruit section, as you might have guessed by the name of the area. Mm. And then last but not least, you also have the farmer's market. The farmer's market is uh, an area where you get incrementally more benefits depending on how many goods you have. All right. That was a lot. I know. But (laughs) in general, you're basically taking actions in certain areas, crossing off some boxes, As the game progresses, when you cross off those boxes, you will end up getting other actions in other areas as well. These all kind of feed back into each other. They're recursive. So, for example, I'll give you a a couple of specifics here. Let's say that you've decided to take a fruit action and plant some raspberries. Done. Anytime you plant a new raspberry, you get three goods. Okay, let me mark those off. But hey. two, three. What's the deal with every time you hit a fifth good, it looks like a star? Oh, that means you get to take a bonus action. A bonus action can be literally crossing off any box anywhere that's not in your garden. Yeah. So as long as it follows the same progression, you know, rules yeah, left not to right any box for your fruits. Anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, you could choose to increase your bee friendship in the apiary. Or, hey. or, hey, you could grow some more raspberries and then throw some more goods in the sack. Yeah. Or you could finally get yourself that new tractor in the shed that gets you a whopping 18 points in the end. You like new uh, tractor. <laughs> you love the new tractor. I love you the new always do the new tractor. We have three of them outside. They're great. <laughs> Cause you can only use them once. So yeah. That's one what if we dis- want to track three things, disposable tractors, <laughs> this is not the future I was promised. Uh, and then in the, uh, in the perennial area where the flowers are, those can only be accessed through bonus actions or specifically perennial actions. So because they don't have their own zone on the rondelle. Yeah. And all of these perennial tracks have kind of their own thing they got going on. Like one lets you take a bunch of shed actions the more you do it. One lets you do a bunch of compost the more you do it. One gives you a bunch of goods. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You also, and, get, you also get some points for getting all the way to the top of each perennial type. Oh yeah, we should definitely go through what all the points. Yo, yeah, what all true. the points are because points it be, is a it is a point fruit salad, if you will. It's a it is a point salad, which is a game that we should review some other time, maybe. But I digress. I think the last thing I didn't specifically mention what it does is the compost. Yeah, the compost is big old heap, heap of boxes. Mm-hmm, it's a little. I mean, they're all big heaps of boxes, but yeah. this the compost <laughs> yeah. lets you. Uh, increment or, or decrement the die um, by the number of compost boxes that you mark off when yep. you want to cash them in so that you can make sure that you're attending to the zone that you want to tend to. Yeah. It's a lot of boxes. There's a lot of, lot of uh, combos. A lot of this gives you that and that gives you this. Uh, and it's great. It's, it's really satisfying to say, okay, here's my goods. Ooh, a bonus action. Now I'm going to go do this. Ooh, another bonus action. And I'm going to do this and another bonus action. 
definitely i think for for all of the games that we've played yeah. once we hit the last couple of rounds <laughs> yeah. that is exactly how it goes in it fact when we had ann over here we were all just pouring over our own mats in the last round like okay now i'm gonna now i'm gonna cross off this which gets me more goods which gives me a bonus action so i'm gonna use it for this in the shed which actually lets me get more goods <laughs> we're all just muttering Basically. muttering to ourselves <laughs> okay this goes over here and then we kind of look up and 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 realize that that we've just been we've been crunching on this and then you know dear listener you're of probably one of two types where you've already stopped paying attention to this or you're like i'm interested tell me more this sounds great we're on the 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 latter side of that we enjoy it we enjoy it a whole lot we do we absolutely do uh the the point part at the end you I mean you really get points for almost everything that you do so what if you grow some corn points what, what about beans what if you grow some beans also points but less less yeah fewer mm. you get to the top of a perennial track oh that's points yeah what if you uh what about the i grow some blackberries oh lots of points more blackberries more points. What about some raspberries? Ooh, uh, points some, only if you, you know, yeah. end on a yeah. multiple of three. When we get up this apiary, we got three three tracks here. Once you get up high enough on the apiary, it splits off. Mm-hmm. We got wax. That's lots of points and goods. We got honey. That's lots of points. We got split hive. Ooh, that's kind of a grab bag. You get lots of yeah. different things up there. Yeah, plant any zone. You get some th- three fruit actions. And then over here in the shed, we've got those tractors. We love those tractors. Those give you points. I mean, everything in there is worth points. points. Yep. Points, points, points. About the only thing that's not worth points in the end are your pumpkins. Yeah. And uh, your goods. Anne was very uh, distressed. She had (laughs) so many goods. She had a lot of goods. She put a lot of effort into that. Yeah, that's uh, that's three sisters. Uh, it, It seems like a lot. And we could just talk about this game for even longer. But, you know, dear listener... Without the benefit of a visual aid, uh, which I hope you are not actively trying to look up while you are, say, driving or on a treadmill or operating a heavy tractor, I think we can just kind of leave it at that, that there's just boxes that you check that let you check other boxes that let you check other boxes, and it really gets that combo-centric part of your brain going. That's a complex garden. <laughs> We've come a long way from a trough of string beans on your windowsill to this. String beans. Try like an air plant. An air, an, <laughs> from an air plant hanging from a nail above our sink. Accurate. To this. Yeah. We've got, uh, we've got a lot going on here. Um, I don't know if any number of takes would do this game justice in this format. So why don't we just... Uh, say we did our best and talk about our feels our feels yeah all right well perfect first of all i did not like that you won handily (laughs) the first two times i played dear listener i will tell you that this is one of those games where you will sit down and you will delight in (laughs) in dotting off your compost and your goods and growing your plants and you will feel like you are doing a really excellent job yeah and then it will come to scoring sure Oh. And your husband will beat you by like, <laughs> you know, one and a half times your score. Oh. And it will happen again the second time when you'll try a completely different <laughs> different plan. Uh, it was not until the third game that we played where yep. I actually felt like I, well, first of all, I won. Yeah. But second of all, I actually felt like I had um, locked into something about the timing with the plants and the garden, which is kind of crucial. And 
also not trying to do everything. You really just need to kind of pick a few things and do those few things yeah. and not try to, to excel in all of the many areas of the boards. Well, I got to feel like uh, this, th- th- I have to relish those two victories. Cause I feel like the, the jig is up as they say, because <sighs> I think, I think you've now kind of cracked it a little bit and you're the next couple of times we play this, I think you're going to, you're going to probably start beating me uh, because the key I've found to this game is yeah, pick a thing and make and do it, but make sure you recognize what that thing needs to be based on like your first two turns. Mm-hmm. Cause if you, if you aren't in, in tune with what needs to happen and how you need to get there, you're just going to end up with a bunch of half grown corn and a bunch of rotten pumpkins and, and a couple of notches in the, in your flower columns and, and nothing to show for it. Do you like this game, Paul? I do. I really enjoy this game. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to be uh, less and less successful at it, but as far as rolling rights go, I think it, it's really, really good. And I don't even want to take that away from it. I think it's just a good game. Yeah. I even want to say like, Oh, it's all right for a rolling, right? I think it is just, it's a good game. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I like it a lot. And I'm glad those guys at, uh, at tabletop express, uh, invited me into play. Uh, cause it let me, it let me then spread the word to other people and you dear listener. Now we would be remiss yeah. if we did not point out as our friend, Anne, who was playing with us last night, who, by the way, completely reinforced my feeling that, you know, it's, it's such a good feeling, especially in those last couple of rounds when you yeah. get all these combos. She was just, having such a good time. She was having a great time. You she was singing a little plant song. Cross, 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 cross. She was basically singing. And then and she looked up. And then she too, when score time came, was like, how did I lose? So she made me feel a little bit better about it. But she also pointed out a couple of things that we will definitely share with the dear listener. Yeah. Number one, the three sisters methodology of planting. Yeah. It's a Native American thing. I knew that. Did not just recently learn that on Wikipedia. I believe you. Um, and farmer Edith is just a white lady. Yep. It would have been nice if there were some representation for the namesake. Yeah. Or alternatively, just call it farmer's market. Yeah. And not three sisters. Although we couldn't use it for our numbers. No, game. that's true. So we're thankful for that. But Anne was very uh, observant about that. And to my detriment and as a, as a sign of how easy it is for someone in our position to not notice these kinds of things and not even be aware of it. I had no idea. Uh, and so I looked it up and, and learned more about it. And that's absolutely true. It would be nice. It would be nice for just a little bit of representation there. And then number two, (laughs) these crops don't all actually grow at the same time. So it is (laughs) she was inaccurate. She was very upset about that. (laughs) She was indeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, this did not make sense to her why you would be growing apples, peaches, blackberries, and raspberries all simultaneously. (laughs) Um, she came pretty close to be like, well, that's why I lost because like, I didn't understand how you could grow all these things together. Because it's nothing like actually gardening. And so it just threw me off. Yeah. But aside from that, uh, I, I really do think this is a, it's a solid game. Yeah. Uh, if you are looking for something that is, you know, kind of a, a solitaire with a tiny little bit of player interaction. Uh, and if you just really love crossing off boxes. Crossing off boxes. Now, if you're not interested in the gardening theme, but you do like the idea of a more complex roll and write and harvesting the sea is more your speed. Uh, the people who gave us this game 
uh, gave us the game that came before it, uh, Fleet, the dice game. Uh, that game is now on my radar, on my sonar. No. Do, do lobster boats have sonar? I don't know. We'll find out in Fleet, the dice game. Uh, and they are also working on a game coming up. I think it's car-themed, and it's going to be coming to Kickstarter soon. I'll have to look that up and learn about that. Definitely more complex rolling rights are definitely starting to become my jam. They're starting to, to pile up here in, in the Casa de Most Difficult. Yep, we will be keeping an eye out for more from this team. But for now... I've got to go pack. Come on, Paul. Let's uh, let's start let's Wait, start where, packing this stuff up. Where are we? Um, we still have those boxes in the basement, right? Sure. Where? What are we doing? Well, I was just thinking. You know, this house is a little, a little too big for us, and maybe we should maybe consider moving. And uh-huh. it certainly has nothing to do with the fact that I bet the mortgage at poker game. <laughs> Who's at the door? That is a very large black SUV. Oh, that must be the new owners. <laughs> Wait, what? I know that when ruling a nation, when it's time for me to pass my crown onto someone else, I don't really look at things like years of civil service or maybe potentially business acumen, like certain modern countries seem to put a little too much weight on. Instead, what I look at is landscaping. I look at your ability to create pristine gardens. Can you create pristine gardens around this palace? And whoever can create the most pristine garden will rule the kingdom that I leave behind after I'm gone. How about you? Well, a beautiful garden really is the best place to play past the crown. <laughs> is that is that a ultimate g- crown? Ultimate pass. crown. Yeah, it's, you take the and you throw it and you hit the the trees. It's a, a new extreme sport coming soon. Uh, but that is the setting without the ultimate crown, without the the active sports of our game for gardens. The object of the game, create the most pristine garden so that the empress who has fallen ill bestows her kingdom to you. Is that really what this this game is about i read the i kid you not that is exactly what it's about so to me there's really not much about the gameplay (laughs) that lines up with ostensibly what the game is about yeah but okay yeah there we go it is about making gardens it's about making it's about it's true i thought it was about painting gardens honestly because the gardens are paintings the gardens are paintings (laughs) four gardens four gardens you can build four different gardens you can pay homage to four different gods. There's four different resources. That's true. There's four steps in this tower that we should definitely talk about because there are feelings <laughs> about this tower. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, then why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Let's start talk- by talking about the centerpiece. Talking about this centerpiece. <laughs> okay. uh, what you get is this eye-catching contraption of plastic and cardboard that sits right here in the center of the table. You've got four levels of this tower. Uh, one level represents wood, one level represents stone, one for water, and one for Doritos. How do you see Doritos? It's green. Because oh, I have been craving Doritos all day. Wow, the Super Bowl ads worked on you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Echo, please add Doritos to the shopping list. Okay, Paul, you already have Nacho cheese Doritos, yeah. Cool Ranch Doritos, mm, okay. Sriracha 
Doritos. I see. Barbecue Doritos. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Taco Town Doritos. Taco Town! What flavor should I add to the shopping list, Paul? Do they have pizza-flavored Doritos? Oh, probably. Did you know that there was actually a toasted corn-flavored Doritos? I learned that today. And people were asking, like, what's the blandest flavor of Doritos you can think of? It turns out they already made it. It's called toasted corn. Okay, but does it taste like corn? They're like tortilla chips. Just tortilla chips. That's it. That's all they are. But there was no flavor added that nope. was like corn? Not that I could tell. That's funny. Yeah. So thanks for coming to Doritos Chat. Uh, this has been Paul and Laura. Thank you for honoring us with your chips. For real, though, this tower. This tower has wood, stone, water, and grass up on the top. And each of the tiers rotate independently. When you rotate them, the different faces have either zero, one, two, or three of that particular resource. So really, the entirety of the resource gathering piece of the game is about orienting this tower in a way advantageous to you for gathering the resources that you want. All of the cards that enable you to draw resources from the tower involve two steps. Number one, rotating the tower from a specific level. Like this. Yes, as you can hear, dear listener, Paul has just rotated the third tier with the water. <laughs> and when you rotate the third tier, or any tier, all of the ones above that will also rotate. And the second part of all of the cards that let you draw from this tower will tell you which direction, bottom up or top down, to go as far as determining what you can collect. The side facing me, currently, top down, has zero grass, one water droplet, two stone, and one wood. And since you start the game with the ability to hold four resources, I could take that one water droplet, the two stone, and the one wood and fill up my resource collection pod. Paul, what's on your face? Of the tower. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a question. I'm not sure people really want to hear the answer to that. But on the tower, uh, from the bottom up, I've got uh, three beef jerkies. I've got no stones. I've got uh, three water drops and two Doritos. Okay, so if you were going from the top down, what would you be able to collect? I'd be able to collect two Doritos, uh, three mineral waters, uh, no rocks. But you couldn't collect all that because you only have four oh, slots. Oh, man. Oh, no. I'm so bad at this game. So this is where the trick comes in. If you have a whole bunch of threes or twos facing you for each resource, you won't be able to collect everything that's facing you because you only have four slots total that you can fill unless you get the bonus one later. So it's also critical that not only do you choose which resources you need facing you, but you have a number of each of them facing you that enable you to collect the ones that you need most. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time talking about this tower of Doritos and jerky. Let's talk for a little bit about um, how the game is actually played and what you need to do to win. Uh, on your turn, you've got four actions you can choose from, and you have to do three total actions. Uh, you can repeat the same ones if you want, but you, you have to do a total of three actions. You can't skip anything. Uh, one of the things you can do is just take one of the cards in your hand and put it down in front of you. Boom. That's called your workspace, I think, or your garden. But the card you put in front of you has some resources. I'm looking at one right now with a mineral water 
and a couple of pieces of beef jerky. The beef jerky <laughs> is the wood. Uh, I'm looking at another one in front of me here that might have a couple of pieces of grass and a stone. Uh, you can have up to three of those in front of you. Those can kind of be in progress. That's one of the things you can do on your turn is just put one of those down. Uh, another thing you can do on your turn is play a card for that tower rotating ability. Every card is going to either have a tower rotation on it or a wild card symbol on it. If it has a tower rotation symbol on it, it'll tell you which one to rotate and which direction to collect those resources, just like we talked about earlier. The third thing you can do is play a card for its wild card. I think all of these, if it's gonna have a wild on it, it'll just tell you to take one. You take one resource from the supply and either put it in your little uh, your little group of four here, Your what do they call that? Your supply, your personal supply, or you can put it on one of the cards that you put down earlier. That's a great way to kind of just snipe that last little resource you might need to complete one of your cards. Uh, the fourth thing you can do is play any card, literally any card that's in your hand for its wheelbarrow action. And the wheelbarrow action is actually how you move resources from your little personal supply tray here down onto the cards that you've put in front of you. You can move resources from your, your supply tray down to the cards. You can move resources between cards. Or if you just have too many Doritos, you can get them out of your personal supply tray, put them back into the supply in order to make room for more beef jerky later. I would like to point out that the grass looks nothing like a Dorito. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> you have not experienced the cravings, the Dorito cravings. Perhaps. Yeah. Or green Doritos in general. Mm. Not things that I've experienced, but that's green okay. Doritos. Um, they could, they could exist. Green chili Doritos. That Green, sounds like it might yeah. be a thing. Yeah. Guacaritos. Uh, oh, now that does actually sound pretty good. It does. So in a nutshell, your turn, you can add a card to your tableau yep. to build. Yep. And those resources on the bottom of the card are the ones you got to collect and then apply to that card to successfully build the card and flip it over. Yeah. Or you can gather more resources either from the tower or from the wild card or you can use your wheelbarrow to move resources around, basically. Once you've uh, put all the resources needed on one of these cards, you've scored it. Hey, every one of these cards has a colored symbol in the upper left, and that represents one of the four gods who are uh, supposedly uh, have a vested interest in your succession to the throne. The gods are the score tracks. The gods are the score tracks. Uh, there's a red god, yellow god, purple god, and blue god. Uh, these, uh, these four different score tracks are independent of each other. They start at three. And when you score a, a point for one of the gods, you just move your little cube up one of those tracks. Uh, it'll go three, four, five, six, and then jumps to eight and then to 10. And what's important is that once you get to 10, if you score any more points, you don't. Everyone else moves down a space on the track. And if you keep scoring points and keep pushing people down. Bing, 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 bing. Bing, 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 that's, bing. That's my cube hitting the top of the. And that was that was me pushing everybody back because that's the game over sound because if you get pushed off the track, you are done on that track. Ah. And, and you can't get back on. So yeah. if you score so much blue god points, you could knock everybody else off the blue god track. And you kind of just keep playing the game, completing cards uh, and, and scoring points. Uh, cards belong to sets, uh, anywhere from a set of two all the way up to a set of five. And if you complete, say, the brown set, which is a set of two, the first card you complete in that set, say I score one one spot on the yellow god track, 
Then I come in and I complete the other card of the brown set, and that's a, a blue. I get to score the blue, but I also get to score that yellow as well. So the scoring kind of compounds itself. As you, as you complete sets, you're going to score more and more points for the same cards over and over again. There's also these bonus tiles that you get. Once you complete a set, you can choose one of three types of bonus tiles. Either one that just gives you straight up points at the end of the game, one that gives you an immediate wild. So, hey, this tile here says three with a little wild symbol on it. Or you can take uh, the fifth spot in your supply tray. So now you got five spots to deal with instead of just four. And that actually makes all the difference. The earlier you can get that, the better. You play that until uh, one person has completed a certain number of cards in front of them. And then everyone else finishes their turn so that everyone's had an equal number of turns. You look at the scoring tracks. You do a little math. Oh, that's the game. At the end of the game, whoever has the most points is now the ruler of the kingdom. They have proven themselves to be the most handy with a rake and a leaf blower and can now clearly are now fit to rule an entire kingdom. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So clearly the um, the logic of the game, <laughs> the storytelling of the game. Doesn't quite hold smart the, water. Where I was going to say it's per- perfect. It's, that's oh, a, well. Yeah. Um, watertight there. Smart watertight. <laughs> Let's talk about how this game makes us feel because yeah. there are a lot of feelings yeah. on this game. Yeah. Yeah. It is clear to me that I am not the target audience of this game. Uh, this is this is definitely an entry-level game with, mm. with table appeal. I won't deny it. This tower, pretty eye-catching. You set this up somewhere... And, and anyone who walks by will probably uh, be like, well, what is that thing? And depending on where you set it up, they may even ask you what that thing is. That definitely accomplishes what it's set out to do. It doesn't need to be a big plastic and cardboard tower. No, you could just take four concentric circles and go bam and pin them together. And there you go. It looks nice. Yeah. I like the rotating tower. We had a, <laughs> we had an extensive conversation about this last night, dear listener. Uh, it's attractive to me. It's like uh, I can think of um, the dice roller in in Wingspan, for yeah. example. Right? It's pleasing. Does it need to be like that? No. no. Is it nice? <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, so that's kind of the the space that this occupies. I happen to like the the resource gathering piece because it is kind of a fun puzzle to think about how you need to turn it and you know which of your options as far as which one to turn and to to collect from top down or bottom up it's kind of fun um but really that's all that's fun about the game yeah it's an it's just it really is a basic exercise in gathering resources to allocate them to cards so that you can get points right there's no difference between these gods yeah uh the the gardens that you make are are as Paul said two three four or five long they're all color coded very easy to see as far as selecting cards to replenish your hand between turns you pretty much are just going to pick things that either help you to complete a garden that you're working on or give you a little more variability as far as your options for how to collect from the tower because one of the most frustrating parts of this game is that you cannot plan ahead because the tower is going to be in a different configuration when it gets back around to your turn guaranteed so even in a two-player game i have no idea what that tower is going to look like when you're done when your turn is over absolutely absolutely and we've played this with two and we've also played this with four and that so it 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 kind of 
it has a slow pace to it for that reason because nobody can be certain what they're going to do on their turn before it's their turn. So you have to wait for them to sit here and think. And it is a bit of a brain teaser yeah. to look through all of your cards and figure out what that's going to do to the tower and which is the most advantageous, probably not awesome move that you have to choose from. <laughs> yeah. The reward for all of this is that you just tally up the points on the God track and that's it. I'm not Mr. King of Strategy over here, but I certainly was not taking uh, god colors into account when I was drawing cards from the market to replenish my No, hand. why would you? They're all the same. The yeah. only reason why it might matter is if you have two options that both help you complete one of your gardens, yeah. and one of them is the one that you keep getting bumped down or about to be knocked off the board for and the other one's not uh, maybe in a dire situation that might make a difference uh and i'm not a game designer scientist <laughs> i i feel like uh you could you could make a variant of this game where maybe you score your two lowest gods in order to encourage you to keep a balance going rather than just trying to score super high in one and just kind of keep up with everybody else in the others the scoring is 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 completely unremarkable, boring mm -hmm. in every way. This is marketed by Arcane Wonders as a dice tower essential. Oh, excuse that. We're just, the box is just falling apart over here. Oh, oh. We're okay. Everything's fine. This game is marketed as a dice tower essential by Arcane Wonders, and I'm not really sure that this is an essential game in any situation. Uh, if you're going to bust out a gateway game, even a resource collection gateway game, I can easily think of five games I would, I would propose instead of this one. So for me, uh, look, not I, essential. No, I, I look, I don't have any particular animus towards dice tower. I just don't think this is an essential anything other than an essential need to get it off of my shelf. Nope. In case you couldn't guess, dear listener, we are not going to be keeping this game. This is definitely going straight into the get it out of the house box. It's down in the basement with, uh, you know, the, the glowing green barrels uh, that we kind of just don't talk about. We have. We don't talk about the barrels. So, Laura, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. How many nights do you have? One per day. I suppose I walked right <laughs> into that. But if you were to count them all up, if I needed to get a thousand and one nights right now, could I get a thousand? No, I best at best I could probably round up like six hundred and fifty. What about you? I mean, we know the same nights, so yeah, you know. I mean, I guess that's true. Your 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 nights are my nights. My but, nights are your nights. I mean, I'm talking about evenings, not like royal jousters. I, just in case there was any confusion. But here in Five Tribes, we have crossed into the land of one thousand and one nights. Your caravan arrives at the fabled Sultanate of Nagala. Mispronunciation detected. Overriding future instances. The old Sultan just died, and control of Nagala is up for grabs. I hope it's pronounced Nakala and not Nakala. I don't know if that's an actual city. Let's carry moving on. on. Moving on. Five Tribes by Bruno Cthulhu. Nope. <laughs> Bruno Cthulhu. <Shh. laughs> don't say his name. 
Uh, Bruno Cathala has given us uh, five tribes, not personally. He has not come to our house and given us five tribes, but he has created for us to play on our table and talk to you, dear listener, about five tribes. Well, we did by Besuse, right? We did. It could have been his original copy. We did find in here, as a nice <laughs> aside, we found a nice little, uh, here, I'm going to dig, excuse the noise, listener. There we go. We found in here a nice little miniature Polaroid of three people clearly having a really good time. Oh, yeah, that is, I mean, that is not probably Bruno Cathala, but it is three guys playing this game in a tiny Polaroid, and what a joyful thing to find in a used game. Yeah, a nice little picture there. A nice Thanks, little... mysterious previous game owners. If you're listening to this, if you are if you are our dear listener, we found your copy of Five Tribes, and, and we bought it. So uh, Five Tribes, it is this, um, I'm hesitant to call it an abstract strategy game because they do attempt to give you some themes, but it's a game about moving meeples around this big grid and then activating tiles, using some powers, recruiting some djinns, djinns, djinns. It's definitely djinns, yes. Djinns, I'm I'm pretty sure that's how they say it. (laughs) Recruiting the help of some djinns and trying to be the person at the end with the most points, which is largely gained by getting money and uh, help from these djinns. Uh, let's let's talk about how the game plays. So, I mean, first impression. Yeah. It, this is one of those games that is going to be different every time you play it because yeah. the board will be different. You set up a grid of how many? How many by how many? 30 tiles. So five by six grid yeah. with these tiles. So it's, it's completely random. You also have a stack of of gins of gins that you draw through three of which will be available uh, at the beginning of each new round. You've got a big old stack of goods. Yeah. There will be nine available at the top of each round. And then everybody has their own wonderful bag full of uh, camels and their round marker tokens. Yep. Which are little towers. They're totally not phallic at all. (laughs) And, there's fast forward, fast forward. A bag of meeples. Yeah. In one, two, three, four, five different colors. Yeah. And these meeples will be randomly dropped on all 30 tiles at the beginning of the game in clusters of three. Three per tile. With no rules about, you know, if they happen to be all three the same color, then that's just the luck of the bag. The luck draw. of the bag. I think that's okay. what they say. The luck of the bag. Perfect. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's, let's go just a little bit deeper, uh, on these 30 tiles, you have these three, uh, meeples, uh, and on your turn, you are going to pick one of those tiles and you're going to pick those meeples up and you're going to lay those meeples out onto adjacent tiles. And by adjacent, I mean ones that share a side. So up, down, left, right. If I have three meeples that I've picked up off of the tile, then I have to Lay down a meeple in three tiles. And you drop one as you go. It's kind of yep. like Mancala in that way. Like a Mancala. Pick up a, a whole tile's worth of meeples yep. and step them one at a time, dropping them along your path. If you have enough meeples that you've picked up, you can eventually you can loop back around if you want. You just can't immediately come back. I can't I can't pick up, go to the right, and then immediately go back to the left. Gotta make a big loop if that's what I if I want to be that clever. I'm rarely that clever. But You've picked up your meeples, you've started laying them down, and the trick is that your final meeple needs to go into a tile that has a meeple of that color. 
So you can't just like drop a red meeple into a tile full of, of blue and green meeples. You have to, you have, there has to be a meeple of that same color. So you drop that down and then you get to pick up the meeples of that color that you've dropped in there. So if my, if I drop a red meeple onto a tile, I get to pick up that red meeple and any other red meeples that are on that tile. And I get to activate that red meeple. And for each color of meeple, there are different abilities. Gold meeples, you just keep in front of you. Points. Um, points. You get points based on uh, if you have more meeples than other players. You get points for every other player you have more gold meeples than at the end of the game. You got white meeples, which are worth more points, but you can also spend them. Mm -hmm. As you'll hear in a bit, you can spend them to recruit the help of these jeans. You I have, like to think of it as you get to sacrifice them to sacrifice to them. woo the jinn. To woo the jinn. You've got merchants. Uh, merchants can help you get resources. Are those the green ones? Those are the green ones. Yep. They help you pick up cards from that row of goods that Laura talked about earlier. And those goods are good for a set collection. If you, at the end of the game, have a big set of differing goods, the more different goods you have in that set, you can turn them in and get a big scaling number of points. You've got the blue meeples that are builders. The blue meeples just give you gold based on qualities and aspects of the surrounding tiles that I won't really go into. And then you've got those those red meeples that we were talking about earlier. Red meeples let you snipe. Kill. Uh, escort off the board. <laughs> uh, uh, one single meeple uh, within a certain range based on how many of those red meeples you've picked up off the board. Or you can pick a player and pew, escort out of the game one of uh, their gold meeples or one of their white meeples, which will be the only ones that will be sitting in front of them. Because everything else goes back in the bag. Everything else goes back in the bag. Once you've done the meeple action, then you can take the action of the tile that you had, had landed on and taken those meeples off of. And these tile actions are anything from, hey, put a palm tree down on that tile. That tile is going to be worth three more points at the end of the game. Put a palace on that tile. That tile points. is going to Also be, points. Also points. <laughs> You've got the tile that lets you actually sacrifice your elders. That's so sad. In order to recruit the aid of uh, the jinn. And you've got tiles that let you spend money to take good cards from that from that row of goods. Mm -hmm. To choose specific ones, which is very handy at some point in the game. Yeah, I mean, you take cards that are goods, not necessarily good cards, because <laughs> sometimes they're bad cards. And I think that's, I think I've covered all of the tile powers. And then tiles themselves are worth points. And that's important because if you ever take the last meeple off of a tile, either by picking them up on your turn or sniping them, you get to take one of your little camels, put it right there on that tile, and that tile will be worth points at the end of the game. And only one person can own that tile, so that's you. That's yep. your points and even your if, camel. Even if a meeple comes along on there uh, later and gets taken off, that's still that's still your tile. I'm looking through this stack of gin, and I don't see any way of removing camels from the board. I think camels are camels are camels are here to stay. Isn't um, there like an adage about trying to get a camel to do something you don't want it to do? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, sure. Let's that, go with that. That is that's exactly that, what I was talking about. That's what they say. <laughs> but that's that's the game. 
you you move these meeples around in a clever fashion to try to clump them up together so you can take them off in groups. You can be more efficient with your actions if you're able to remove multiple meeples of the same color on a single turn. The thing that we forgot to mention that I'm going to talk about right now is uh, the order in which you act. Everyone starts the game with a lot of money, 50 monies. That's that's kind of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The reason you start with so much money is because it's pretty difficult to get money later on in the game. You don't accidentally get money. You have to take very specific steps to set yourself up for getting more money. And you're going to spend that money mainly on turn order. So at the top of the round, you go around the table and everybody has an opportunity to pay money to establish their turn order. So obviously, the sooner you want to go, the more money you'd bid. Yeah. But... You can also choose not to bid. Yeah. And if you choose not to bid, then you get slammed in that zero spot, which, Boom. of course, is the end of the line. But anybody after you who also chooses not to bid will now shove you even further and further to the end of the line. So you there's actually the boot. three boot slots. Three boot slots. Three three boot zones. <laughs> That's one more. And then once the turn order has been established, then you everyone moves their turn markers to the actual turn order board, and then you will do that same thing for turn order the following round, yep. but starting with whoever was first in the previous round. Yeah, so not only does bidding higher help you act first in the round, it also helps make sure that you are going to get a chance to be first bid in the next round. That's That's the game. Uh, You get points from tiles where you have your camels. You get points from money. You get points from these gold meeples. You get points from the elders that you might still have. You get points from goods. You get points from your genies. All kinds of things give you points, and you add up your points, and whoever has the most points is the new sultan of Nikala. And they get to have themselves a 1002 night stay in this fabulous luxury resort of Nikala. I've never been in Nikala. Have you? No, I'm not actually sure I know where that is even. It may exist only in our imaginations. Um, let's just let's just assume that it does. I had never thought of Nikala until you actually said the full name of the game just now. Bruno Cathala's Five Tribes, the Jinns of Nikala. Do you think that he just arbitrarily called it Nikala because it sounds nice with Cathala? You know what? Computer. Nikala appears to be an imaginary city you made up. Well... Now that's kind of disappointing. I guess it'll just have to live on in our hearts. So what do we think? What do we think of the five tribes? Well, you know that I generally like games that I tend to win. Okay, sure. So this has that going for it. (laughs) Okay. That aside, I like the variability of this game. Yeah. And I really like the way that it plays with the picking up the pocket of meatballs because By the time that your turn comes around, especially if you bid zero or everybody else bid more than you, uh, then the state of the board can be quite different from how it was when you were sitting there imagining what your next move would be. And for you, you're leaning towards that being a plus. Right. Some people don't like that. You're leaning, oh, true. No, yeah. that's true. Yes, I do. I do think of that as a, as a I mean, not always, but in this game, I think it, it works well because okay. sometimes it means that the thing that you were going to do is no longer available. But it also means that somebody has littered a couple of single meeples across yeah. the board, which means that you have a territory you can go ahead and take over. Not always a good idea to go first in this game. It's not always an idea it, to go. It's first. tricky. Yeah, it is definitely. It's a nice little balancing act. But speaking of balancing acts, actually, the um, I was surprised that I won the first time we played. I was playing. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
pretty much always how it goes. Well, our friend Qu- Chris is quite quite good at games. Yeah, he's a sharp guy. So I was very surprised to have beat him. But the thing that's that really was the most surprising is that you don't really know how well everyone's doing because the money is hidden and there are certain things that are visible as far as what points people have but the money's a big one that you can't see and the goods are another big one that you can't see i pretty much always know how much money you have in terms of wow that's a lot of money compared to my stack it doesn't matter if it was face up or not (laughs) so i I like that you're not sitting here it doesn't become one of those games where you're where you're all seeing who the leader is and trying actively to take that person down because there are these hidden elements. Someone who's really good at that kind of stuff can remember how much this person spent or that person has spent. But those people are going to be good at all kinds of stuff like that. And, and maybe you just don't play those games with those people. You tell them your game nights on Tuesday and (laughs) rolling rights only with you. (laughs) Yeah. Multiplayer solitaire. You go do your own thing there. Human (laughs) computer. I uh, I enjoyed our four-player experience. We've played this a couple of times, two-player. I have not enjoyed it as much at two-players. With two-players, we each get two turns, and with clever bidding, you can give yourself two turns in a row. So there, there's that component to and it. And you can take one move and set yourself up for a really great second move. Yeah, I don't love that. Yeah. I don't feel like the game was designed for that. I feel like the game was designed to spread that opportunity around amongst four players so that you know, okay, this turn, I'm about to do this to help myself out, but it's going to set Laura up, which is fine because the move she does is going to set Chris up, which is then going to set Rob up. But in the two-player version, all I'm doing is just, I just feel like I'm just constantly setting you up uh, or vice versa. You might feel like you're constantly setting me up and there's better two-player games to play. If, you know, if I really wanted a five tribes fix, I guess, but, you know, the game to me, becomes much more interesting at four players. I completely agree. And I think I perhaps like it a bit more at two than you do, but there are lots of other two player games I'd rather play yeah. for sure. And this is definitely more fun with four. Yeah. Uh, there's an expansion for it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what it adds. I the, just, the you know, I, I kind of put my finger up into the wind of the, of the board game, the, the, the put my finger into the wind of the board game people. I'm going to come up with a better way of phrasing that <laughs> public opinion on the expansion is that it's meh and that it doesn't really, it just adds maybe complexity or weirdness without actually making the game better. Actually, there are two expansions, but opinions are mixed on both. So I think for now, uh, five tribes safe on our shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm real interested in trying it a few more times with four players to see if, to see if it stays interesting. That variability keeps mm-hmm. it going. At the same time, I'm not attached to it, and if it comes time to get it off our shelf, it probably is on that short list. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go see if I can uh, check in on like uh, orbits.com, see if I can find any sweet deals for a thousand and two nights stay in the luxurious palace resort of Nicola. Six nymphed. Six nimt. No, yeah, nimt is fine. Nimt. Yeah, you N-I-M-M-T. got it. N i m m t. It means takes. Takes. Six takes it. Six. Six takes it. Uh, <laughs> what does six take? All of the other cards. So the game of sex nimt is. Whoa, a, whoa, whoa! What is it? What are you saying? That's how you say six in German. Say it's it again. Sex nimt. <laughs> say it again. 
Zack Snyder. <laughs> so, uh, great card game. We love this one. Yeah. Uh, we'll just go go cut to the chase. This cut is a great game. Chase. It's a great game. Six yeah. nimmed. Yep. You have a deck of cards here numbered, I don't know, up to like a 104. 104. If you play with all 10 players, you'll use all the cards. Yeah. Uh, and they're just obviously one for each number. And you got a bunch of steer heads. Beef heads. Horns, beef heads. We call them beef heads. Yeah. On the cards. Most of them have just one. Some of them have two or three or five or eight. Yeah. Uh, and the beef heads are bad. Beef Bas- heads are bad. You don't want beef. You don't want it beef. It is not what's for dinner. Where's the beef? Hopefully not in your hand. No. <laughs> Someone else's. <laughs> yeah. So the way the game plays, quick overview is you have your hand of cards. Everyone's got their hand of cards. Everybody obviously has different numbers because there's only one of each number. And you have to build up these four rows from low to high cards. And if you end up having to play the sixth card in a row, there are rules to placement. Paul will probably touch on that in a second here. But if you end up having to play the sixth card, you have to take all of the cards that came before that one. So the sixth one takes everything else beneath it, and the sixth one becomes the new start card for that row. You don't want to take cards. It's like uh, it's like beef golf. You don't, <laughs> right. you don't want to take cards. You don't. You want you want as few points as possible. Yes. You start with a certain number of points, and each round you actually subtract however many beef heads you yeah. have. Yeah. You know, I've played this on Board Game Arena so much that that's how I think of it. I think basically everyone starts with zero, and the first person to get to 66 causes the game to end but you can go the other way around where everyone starts with 66 and once someone gets to zero the game ends you can play it either way but in, in either case you do not want that beef uh so yeah a little bit more of a visual uh for you to picture in your head i have laid out four cards on the table in front of me i've got a 37 a 26 a 63 and a 57 uh, I've, I've created the start of what are four rows right and every player is going to have 10 cards in their hand and then everyone's going to pick one card from their hand they'll put it like maybe face down in front of them mm-hmm. we play it you have to hold it up to your forehead we uh, don't always play that i way. play it like that paul likes to hold his card up to his I'm, forehead I'm, if i do it enough times <laughs> it will eventually be a thing but then everyone goes one two three flip and reveals the card that they chose now you go around the table and from the smallest card to the largest card you start assigning them to rows And a card will get assigned to a row based on the number that it's closest to and greater than. So if I play a 38, it's going to get put right after this 37 that I'm looking at right here. If I play a 40, it'll get put right after this 37 here. Uh, If I play a 90, it'll get placed after this 63. Because even though it's way larger than 63, that's the one it's closest to and larger. Now, these rows are going to start to fill up. And once a row hits five cards, now that's a full row. And if you would assign a card to that row, you take the beef. You take all the beef. You you just grab it. Grab that beef. You take all that beef from that row, and you put those cards in front of you, and you take your card, and you now that card has started the row. And then you just keep going and keep building out those rows. So, Paul, if the card that took the whole row ends up becoming the start card, then at some point, wouldn't they all be really high numbers? Yeah. And then you just stop playing the game. You box it up and that's it. Oh, wait. No. Right. There's the rule that if the card you would place is lower than the last card in all the rows, if you can't place it because it's too low, then now you have to pick a row to take. 
Most of the time you're gonna take the row with the least amount of beef in it. Because remember, beef is bad. Please do not sue us, Beef Council of the United States. But uh, sometimes, you know, depending on how things shake out, you might take a specific row that might give you a little bit more beef, but you know it's gonna lead to someone else having to take even more beef. That's happened a few times, and it's fun when you're able to work that out. But that's the game. You you play through your entire hand of 10 cards like that. Everyone picks a card, one, two, three, flip, place the cards, people taking beef, and until until everyone's out of cards, 10, hand, 10 little hands like that. Then you tally up your score, you add up how much beef everyone's collected, and you're either counting down from 66 or up from zero. But there's, a, there's that line, there's that threshold. If at the end of a round that threshold has been crossed, then the game is over. And whoever has collected the least amount of beef is the winner. Or if not, then you just keep playing. And you keep doing that until at the end of a round, someone has crossed that threshold. And then, like I said, you count up that beef. And you want to be the person with the least beef. Minimal beef. Yeah, that's the game. That's the game. Pretty straightforward, easy to teach. It sounds super simple because it is super simple. But here's the thing. It's so unlike anything I've ever seen. And it's unlike anything most people who aren't familiar with board games have ever seen that their minds are going to be beef blown just so it's a fun thinky game definitely yeah. uh you know like for example if you've got a one in your hand you know at some point you're going to have to take a card so there's yeah. a calculation there about when is a good time to do that and reset a row for another uh for another round there's also the calculation of what you want to be left with in your hand at the end, because as you stare down the last few moves, you can kind of start to see which way the wind is blowing and yep. figure out what you're going to be stuck with. So it's it's a very simple to teach, simple to learn, simple to play. And and just highly entertaining. And highly entertaining. Yeah, exactly. It, it's real real good. to When you make a good play, it's, it's that feeling of like, I made a really good play is super satisfying and it doesn't feel like you have to burn your brain to figure out what a good play is. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a hallmark of a good like family card game. And it plays two to 10. I've never played with 10 myself, but I yeah. have played with like seven. Yeah. Seven playing with 10 would just be chaotic and fun in a, in a throw all strategy out the window. Who knows? <laughs> just, just throw that caution to the beef wins. Now, what I will mention about this game is that it is very weird to buy. The original game was called Six Nymphed, and that's how we know it. They repackaged it for a while as Category 5, and now they seem to have packaged it as Take 5 in this kind of double package with another game called Take a Number, which is also known as X Nymphed. Now, what is the German word for the letter X? Do you know it? I don't know it. I figured you'd know it. You know all of German. Maybe you don't. Is it X Nymphed? I actually don't know. Okay, well, maybe we'll have the computer tell us uh, right now. The German pronunciation of the letter X is X. Oh, okay. That's how you say it. <laughs> Great. They call it Take 5, and then they have this bonus game called Take a Number, which is an interesting little variant. Uh, we haven't played it. I've read the rules on it. It doesn't play 10 players. It plays 2 to 4, so it's like a more smaller scale version with a slightly different rule where you have your own row that you're building in front of you and you have to be careful about the beef that you do take. If you take the wrong beef, then that row ends up collapsing and that beef is worth double points. It's an interesting little twist and I'm looking forward to trying it out. Doesn't need to be two full decks of cards though because this take a number just plays with one through 100. 
that you could easily play that version with a standard six nymphed deck, just take out the 101 through 104. But for some reason, they want to sell you two decks of cards. If that's the only version you can find and it's a decent price, 10, 15 bucks, I say go for it. It's a great game. It's going to stay in our collection forever. Yes. So of all the wonders in the world, and there are seven, I think my favorites would be the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, yeah. okay. the uh, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, the Pyramids, of course, of Giza, pyramids, my, yeah, most the of my extremely pyramids. tall statue of Rhodos, the um, colony building of Ephesos. Hang on, hang on. The giant man sitting in a chair similar to Lincoln of Olympia. <laughs> Haven't we done this bit? Isn't this... I feel like we've done this bit already. I'm glad you stopped me before I had to pronounce this Halicarnassos. There we go. I think I got it. Yeah. Halicarnassos. Halicarnassos. Seven wonders of the world. The actual seven wonders. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the non-dual version. This is the, I believe we called this the uh, polyamorous version of Seven Wonders. <laughs> I think we did. Yeah, the, the more the better, up to seven. Uh, this is the actual, the real deal. This is the original Seven Wonders by Antoine Bauza. We all know it. We all love it. Some of us probably don't. We'll find out if it was one of us is one of those people who don't, who don't love it. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is Seven Wonders. It just recently got a nice little shiny coat of paint. Updated with some nice gold foil on the box now. I don't remember if the original one had it or not, but we're on a, a brand new edition here. I'm not going to call it the original drafting, uh, but it's it's definitely one that that made it very very popular as a mechanic. I I seem to recall. So I like the way that this game plays. Yeah. You start with one of the aforementioned seven wonders of the world. What was the name of that city again? That Greek city. <laughs> You spent a lot of time learning it. I hate for you to only say it once. What's uh, what's that word for when you're losing your hair? Halitosis? Ha- uh... That's bad breath. Halitosis. Is that what I'm thinking of? Possibly. Halliburton. Okay. They're the oil company. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Hall- well, anyway. Halibut's It fish. reminds me of something else. Okay. But Halicarnassos. Halicarnassos. I'm going to guess it's Greek based on... The the sos at the end the of it. The sos, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably a good guess. I'm not mm-hmm. a history scientist. I don't know. Yeah, you like it. Yeah. So everybody starts with one of these seven, and each of the wonders has two different sides: a day side and a night side. Mm-hmm. There are bonuses associated with constructing your wonder, and when you choose day or night side, you're basically choosing what sort of bonuses you'll get for constructing your wonder. Yep. But overall, as far as drafting games uh, go, and I would say for any listener out there who doesn't know what a drafting game is, you will have a hand of cards and you will choose one for your turn and then you will pass that hand along to the next person. So when you play this game with four people, as we did last night, you'll see your hand come back around again, but greatly depleted since the last time you saw it. Yeah, we play with enough. Like as soon as that's it, you see those cards in front of you, you pick one, you send it down the line, you're not going to see it again. So there are a lot of different things you can do uh, in this game as you as you take your hand. I'm going to let Paul kind of take the baton on this one because there's a lot of pieces and <laughs> want to definitely want to simplify it for you here. And I'm yeah. going to go into the weeds. Sure. Uh, seven Wonders. Three ages, age one, age two. 
age six. Very mm-hmm. like you just skip some of those middle ages where like nothing happens. Age one, age two, and I guess what we will call age three. Uh, and, and every age plays exactly the same way. Everyone gets dealt seven cards. Everyone chooses a card and puts it on their forehead, holds it up to their forehead. And, uh, and then uh, once everyone has chosen a card, we all go one, two, three, reveal. And then you get to choose one of three things to do with it. The easiest, simplest thing to do, sell it to the bank for some money. Uh, the next thing you can do that's pretty straightforward is build it earlier cards typically don't have any kind of prerequisite any kind of requirements you could just build it like oh a logging camp boom great now i generate the wood resource or a quarry boom now i generate uh some stone there are some basic resources like wood and stone and ore and there are some more advanced resources like potions and silk and and scrolls And those resources are used to build more advanced buildings like you would expect a game like this to allow you to do. But that's that's the second thing you can do is just build that building that you've chosen. The third thing you can do is take that building and and spend the resources listed on your wonder that you've chosen in order to build a stage of that wonder. You got to go from left to right. So it's typically fewer resources for stage one all the way up to more or more difficult to obtain resources for stage three. You'll pay those resources, you'll tuck that card underneath that part of your wonder, and you'll get the bonus that's there. Something as simple as maybe some money or some victory points at the end of the game, or you get a maybe a resource of your choice of from all the basic resources. If you ever need a resource, then that stage of that wonder can be used for one of those resources when building something else. What if you don't have the resources that you need, Paul? That is where your neighbors come in handy. If you don't have the resources you need, let's say I could really use a stone, and I see that Laura has a stone. She's my neighbor. She sits directly to my right. I can give her two money to buy one of her stone. But if she only has one stone building, one building that produces stone, I can only buy one stone. I can't buy like three from her. And if none of your neighbors have a resource and you don't have that resource? You are what I believe historians call... Paul last night. Paul last <laughs> night. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's Because that happened to me quite a bit. And I didn't realize... I. I don't know. I just assumed that some of my neighbors will have produced some of these important resources. Nope. And uh, that cost me quite a bit of points at the end. So those are the three things you can do. You can trade them in for money, you can build the building, or you can use it to build a stage of your wonder. So the cards you're going to be collecting, the things you're going to be building come in like, I don't know, four or five different categories, maybe even six, maybe seven. Seven is a popular number. Let's find out. Oh yeah, we're, we're folding them out right here. You've got your basic resource buildings. You've got your advanced resource buildings. You've got your buildings that pretty much just give you straight up victory points. You've got your buildings that give you military power. Military power is cool. It's this little tug of war you have with each of your neighbors. In between each age, you're going to compare your military strength with your neighbor's military strength. And if yours is better than theirs, they lose a point and you get some points. More points, depending on where you are in the game, more points the later on in the game. So you'll compare yourself to each of your neighbors yep. and have that balance with each each yep. neighbor. I'll compare myself to Laura and I'll compare myself to Rob. And if I have more than Laura, uh, if it's the, the third age, then I'll get five points for having more than Laura and five points for having more than Rob. And Laura and Rob will each lose one point. So that's, that's military. It's this little tug of war with your neighbors. You've got your gold buildings, which they are too numerous uh, in variety to, to detail, but they just have to do with 
altering the cost of things or giving you more money for having things. They just make life easy for you on the money front. You have your green buildings, which are these scientific buildings. Uh, these scientific buildings have one of three symbols on them, or maybe they have multiples. I think most of them just have a single symbol. Uh, I think you've got your, your gear, your weird compass thing, and some kind of stone tablet. And you get points at the end of the game for collecting one of each type of resource, and you get points for collecting multiples of the same resource. So both horizontal and vertical scaling when it comes to those points. And then finally, you've got these purple buildings, these guild buildings that uh, give you points at the end of the game based on contents of yours or other people's cities. Get two points for every basic resource building that your neighbors might have. Get uh, one point for every stage of a wonder maybe that, that all your neighbors have. I don't know, I'm making these up off the top of my head. Don't Please don't cite me with, with rules if, the, if that's not actually one of the guild cards. I'm just giving examples for dear listener who maybe isn't as familiar with Seven Wonders as the rest of us are. So there's some set collection there. There's some military tug of war. There's some engine building. There's some resource gathering. You draft a card, put it down, do something with it. Then you pass those cards, the leftover cards, to your left. Draft another card, put it down, do something with it. Send those cards to the left. And you do that all the way through age one until everyone has one card left in their hand. And that card gets discarded and the age is over. Then we deal out the age two cards and we do the exact same thing, only we pass to the right. Then we deal out the age three cards and do the exact same thing, pass to the left. Age three is when these purple buildings, these guild buildings that I was talking about come into play. So you can really get a clear picture of, of what the end state of, the, of everyone's cities is going to look like. So you know whether or not a, a particular end game scoring guild card is worth picking and putting down or not. Also, whether or not it's worth passing off to your neighbor. Uh, Sometimes yeah. you yep. can kind of look at your hand and think, oh, I don't want to have to give this to Vanessa because she's going to get <laughs> mega points if I give it to her. Yeah. Uh, and then something I forgot to mention is that these buildings, you know, you, you got to know they have prerequisites. Hey, if you want to build a barracks, you got to make sure you can produce some ore. But also some of these buildings have little extra symbols on them, like maybe a bullseye or a, a special or a little torch or something. And if you already have a building that has one of those symbols in your tableau in front of you, then you get to build it for free. Yeah, then you get to build something that might have that as a prerequisite for free. That's pretty cool. So you keep an eye out for those and you feel like you've you've threaded a fun little needle there when you say, ha, oh, great. I don't have to spend two wood, a stone, and a potion for this thing because I've got the little thing that looks like a marimba, I guess, is what that... Oh, no, that's like a merchant stand. Like I said, it's like an awning, like an, like an overhang for a merchant stand. But that's Seven Wonders. You pick a card and you, and you pass it along, drafting. And then at the end, you total up all your points. Whoever has the most points wins. Seven Wonders. Yeah, yeah. we like it. We like it. It's, it's, first off, it plays seven players. And it plays seven players almost as quickly as it will play five, four, three. Don't play this with two. Instead, play Seven Wonders Duel, except don't actually play Seven Wonders Duel because we didn't like it. There are a few expansions for it. Uh, when they released the new version, they also updated all the expansions. Um, there's, I think, leaders and cities and lasers. And what was I that think one? They go to Seven Wonders in Space. Yeah, space pyramids. It, it gets real weird. And, you know, I'm not going to accuse Antoine Bowser of just like going back to that well too much. But, you know, that's <laughs> it's not like he's reusing the same bits 
for his board game reviews. Uh, but there, if you like Seven Wonders, if you enjoy the base game, there is a whole mine of content that you can just plumb the depths of. Uh, but for us right now, I think we're just going to stick with the base game Seven Wonders, and, and it's definitely uh, sticking around. Hey, Paul, I got a question for you. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that seems like a good idea. Oh, you have a different question for me. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> if you had eight minutes. Eight minutes. If you had eight minutes to live. Oh, oh. Mm. Yeah, okay. Mm. All right. This is not a threat. <laughs> if you had eight if you knew you had eight minutes to live, what would you do? Eight minutes to live. Well, first off, I'd go on YouTube and see if there is maybe a you know, like a short video to watch, maybe. Like really? A, yeah, like like eight a f- minutes to live. You're gonna watch a YouTube video. Sometimes you know a four minute video or something. Oh, because you could get two. I could, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I got to get my my dank memes from somewhere. But if we're assuming that I don't have internet access, I well, let's see. How about I'd probably cook a, a five minute egg, and then <laughs> maybe I'd take three minutes to just really enjoy it. Probably. Uh, uh, well, what would you do? What would you do if you had eight minutes? Eight minutes to live. What would you do? Oh, gosh. I guess I could clean up that pile of clothes in the corner of the bedroom that you Girl, keep giving I, me a hard time about. It talked to me the other day. It was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> <How's it going?" laughs> well, I think. Lenny and I have an understanding. Oh, it's got a name now, huh? Yeah. Great. <laughs> You'd know if you talked to it. You know what I wouldn't do with eight minutes? What would you not do with eight minutes? Probably build an empire. Why? Because it would take too long? Do you really think you'd take take longer than eight minutes to build an empire? Well, guess what? We could find out because right now we have a copy in front of us of Eight Minute Empire by Ryan Laukat and published by Red Raven Games. Eight Minute Empire, I, you know, if you've ever had the hankering to start an empire and, and build it up over the course of eight minutes, now is the time. This is it. Seize your opportunity. It started off as a print-and-play game, if I recall, uh, and enough people liked it, enough people downloaded it, enough people printed and played it, to where the designer decided, hey, I bet you I could put this in a box and sell it. And that's exactly what they did, and that is how it ended up in front of us. Eight Minute Empire. We played this. It plays two to five players, so we played this with some friends of ours the other day, and uh, it's, it's pretty much a straightforward area control game with a kind of a set collection twist. In the box, we have cubes and discs of uh, various colors for the five players. We have some cardboard coins and some cardboard goods tokens that can be used for a variant. And we have this uh, double-sided map here of an unspecified continent uh, arrangement. Um, It looks to me to be vaguely Asian possibly with the, some of the typesetting, you know, but mm. I, who, who am I? I'm not a f- font scientist. Uh, that's, um, that's what you get. That's all you get in there. And you're going to be buying cards that will allow you to put some cubes on the board with the idea of, of controlling regions with, by having more cubes in them and uh, controlling continents and collecting sets of goods. Laura, why don't you tell all of us how to play this game? So everybody starts with a bunch of cubes in. There's a start area. Right in the dead center here. Start region there. Yep. 
And then at the top of the board, there will be a market where you will lay out six cards. And everybody starts with a little bit of money. Depends on how many players you have. But it's a finite yeah. resource. You do not get more money. <laughs> there is no. I looked. I double checked this rule book. Are you telling me there's no way to get more? No, I guess not. Make it last. So when we played with four players recently, yeah. everybody had $8 to Something, begin with. Yeah, $8. Let's it, just say $8. Perfect. And the market has cards ranging in cost from zero up to three. Yeah. So when you think about this, you realize, hey, if oh, ever- I, know, I want three. I want three of those three cost cards. Right. If you're going to take a three, <laughs> you're going to be taking if, some zeros. Yeah, you're going to be. Yep. You better make sure it's what you really want. So it's a rolling market. Uh, games of this type where you get to choose which position you want. You pay for the card in that position. And then everything shifts over to fill that position. And something else gets put down at the expensive end. Yep. So things do get less expensive the longer they stay on the board. The way it plays is you will take one of the cards or buy one of the cards if yeah. you're not taking a free one. Yeah. And then you will get to do the action on the bottom of that card. The actions have to do with moving your cubes from that central region to fan out in the continent. Some of them will let you cross a body of water as well to jump to another continent. Some of them will let you create a city, which gives you a new spawn point for when you put more cubes on the board. And some of them just let you put more cubes on the board. Yeah. I think that's pretty much everything. I think that's it. Oh, you can destroy cubes. Oh, yep. There's a destroy cube. So you can actually remove uh, an opponent's cube, something like just that. Just like well. a targeted meteor strike that just goes and just takes one cube off the board anywhere you want. Yep. So that's basically the game. You will buy a card from the market. You will do whatever it says, adding cubes, moving cubes, yeah. killing cubes, yeah, like creating a city. Uh, and you will do that seven times. Yep. And at the end, everyone gets to count up which territories they control. Get a point for each territory you control. You also get to get an additional point if you have control of the most territories in a continent. Uh, if there's ever a tie, nobody gets points. Nope. Nobody nobody wins. Nobody's happy. Yep. So that's it. It's a pretty simple... And the set collection, too. Yeah, the set collection piece. All of the cards has a... Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Has a, a type of resource on the top. Uh, carrots, stones, anvils, red gemmy diamonds, <laughs> etc. And there's also wild cards. But you will also get points based on how many of each of these symbols that you have acquired. Some of them only need one to get you points, like the Jemmy Diamonds. Some of them need two <laughs> or three. Diamonds. If only there were a name for red Jemmy Diamonds. What could we call them? If only Gem and Diamond weren't <laughs> redundant. So you'll get points for also having sets of these resources. It could give you a reason to spend a little bit more on a card if it ends up getting you yeah. that coveted third carrot or something of that nature. Yeah, if our rambling has not made it clear... These cards that you buy have both goods and an action on them. And so when you when you buy them, you're paying for the goods and the action itself. Depending on the situation, the goods might be worth it to you or the action might be worth it to you. But almost nothing is worth that three. Ooh, that's a lot of money to spend for a card when you're not getting any more money. Unless it's the double carrot. The double carrot. Is there a double gem in there? Probably not. That'd be crazy. That'd be I crazy. Don't think so. I don't think we could handle that. But the double carrot. Like a double anvil in there, I think, too. So, yeah, eight-minute empire. Uh, it's it's short. It's innocuous. It's little teeny tiny area control in a short amount of time, except it does not take a short amount of time to play. It took us almost an hour to play eight-minute empire. 
Was it really that long? It's it maybe not, but it sure felt like that. It certainly was not eight minutes. There's a lot of grinding in your brain that needs to happen if you really want to feel like you're playing this game at a good level. If everyone's just very much like, I don't know, just I'll take this, I'll take that. Yeah, sure, you can get through it in eight minutes. But if you really want to try to put some effort and thought into it, you're going to be sitting here watching everyone else take their turn for five minutes at a time. Nothing going on. Okay, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Maybe. But definitely towards the end when you know, if you've got four movement points or something and you want to see where you can break a tie or where you can cut somebody off from winning on a continent or something like that, there's definitely an advantage to taking your time and figuring out the optimum move. Sure. But a lot of games have that problem. That really wasn't my issue with it. Ooh, tell us what your issue is with it. I just didn't think it was that much fun. I think it had, it's probably great as a print and play because... For the, yeah, for that money... It's yeah, great. It delivers. Yeah. Uh, but as a as an actual fold out board game, the territories are are confusing. We had to choose oh. one side of the board because <laughs> we just couldn't make heads or tails of. Let me tell you, dear listener, this this <laughs> one map, side of the map. This map is is maddening. There's there's regions that you can't tell if they're the same region or not because there are little islands broken off. So like, is this area two regions or three? I don't know. We had to go look up screenshots from the app which they've apparently taken the opportunity to clean up the map and make it clearer. And we had to take our cues from that. It took us 15 minutes to, to figure out how to actually play 8-Minute Empire. Now, that's why the game may have taken us an hour <laughs> for things like that. Yeah. And then when you play with as many people as we played with, you will have just a ton of cubes in some of these areas, and yeah. they're pretty small. So The areas be, are small, and the cubes are large. Compar- yeah, it can be a little tedious to move your cubes around, especially yeah. if you're accidentally knocking things into other territories. Yep. Yeah, just not um, not really worth it. Not I think this one's definitely going to uh, sail across the ocean into the land of dragons, the part of the map where it ought to say, here there be dragons, I think. <laughs> uh, not for us. I think I'd rather find something else to do with those eight minutes left. Like, uh, I don't know, go check that YouTube <laughs> one last time. <laughs> I'm not an addict. You're an addict. <laughs> All right, eighth episode spectacular. It's a wrap. Ah oh, man, I I this party hat needs to go back into the wash. It was just clean. <laughs> it's, now it's dirty. Now it's all sweaty and gross again. What a great collection of games. I think we touched on a whole bunch of different uh, types of games too. We've got social deduction. We've got area control. We've got tile laying. One of yep. my favorites. Rolling right. We got a card game. Got some drafting. Uh, yep, draft. Two different kinds of drafting games. Yeah. A set collection game and. Whatever the heck Five Tribes is. <laughs> it's some kind of weird uh, abstract almost, <laughs> but with, but with Dijin. Mm-hmm. A, a meeple dropping game. Meeple droppers. Yeah. Meeple droppers. Meeple droppers. It's fun to say. <laughs> so it's been a wild ride. I feel more cultured now that I understand uh, this this new style, this new reason for celebration, the Ocho Sinera. I, I, I feel like uh, I'm a citizen, more of a citizen of the world now than I used to be. It's real easy to just feel like the world revolves around us here in the old US of A. But now I know about the totally real celebration of Ocho Senera. So uh, until our Vente Dos Senera. Uh, the next major landmark, The next obviously. major landmark, yeah. 
Uh, I would like to thank you, dear listener, for tuning in, and also to thank you for honoring honoring us with with your your ears. ears. Is a party noise.